Hi, my name is Faden Papa Michael. I'm the cinematographer of Trial of the Chicago 7, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show. My name is Ben Consoli, and today's guest is Faden Papa Michael ASC, the cinematographer for The Trial of Chicago 7 on Netflix. Faden, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me again. Two years in a row, I guess. I know. Too, well, you're just doing so much great work. We had you on last year for Ford vs. Ferrari and so excited to get into The Trial of Chicago 7 because the film is amazing and there's so much to talk about. But before we get there, I just want to mention our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives. And of course, I encourage you guys to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. All right. So, Faden. First thing I want to talk about, and we're going to talk a lot about Chicago 7, but I have to ask you because I just heard, uh, just got word of this just today when I was researching for the show, you're working on the new Indiana Jones film. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're prepping that still, yeah. What a fun pro... You must be really psyched about that one. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, there's li literally nothing I can tell you about it. <laughs> Of Other course, than, um, than the facts that are known, which is you know, it's 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 James Mangold directing, so that'll that'll be nice because um, you know we're taking on a franchise and it's a collaboration that that I've had you know for for two decades now probably with with Jim and uh, so it's it's very exciting you know very exciting. Uh, we had worked with with Harrison Ford because we did some um, additional with with uh, with Mangold we did some additional. Uh, shooting on call of the wild so you know i got i, I did have a uh you know relatively uh a short experience working with him but um it was it was he, he seems like he's gonna be great fun and i'm very very excited and very much looking forward to it so you know one of the most famous franchise film franchises in in, in film history you know um so but we're very excited about it yeah well hopefully we'll have you back to talk about that when the time comes you know, working with James Mangold in all of those projects that you had just mentioned, and so you you really understand the value of having a great director-cinematographer relationship. And I want to kind of apply that to your experience on um, Chicago 7 because you're now working with Aaron Sorkin, who, you know, people know as a writer. He's, he's directed before, but he's also directing this project. So you're working not only with just legendary writer of dialogue and of story— but someone who's directing it as well. So I'd love to hear about your just working relationship with him. What was it like working with Aaron Sorkin? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, you know, very interesting. And, and uh, you know, of course, not similar to uh, working with Mangle, which, you know, Mangle is very involved. I mean, he's, he's a photographer himself. He's involved in color correction. He's constantly carrying his light around. He's very precise about composition and all that, which is all great because we're, you know, like I said, we have very similar visual uh, sensibilities. I mean, often I'll say to an operator on the headset, you know, tilt up a little bit, pan left, and Mango, without knowing, I'm saying, says, having tilt up a bit and pan left. I mean, we, we you know, we really <laughs> yeah. see things eye to eye, which is, you know, great, of course. That's the kind of, you know, uh, collaboration. That's what you want, now. yeah. Yeah, now, now Aaron, you know, of course, Aaron always... You have to understand, uh, you know, has great knowledge of cinema, has uh, a great understanding of how a story works. Of course, um, 
you know, likes classic films. Like he really, you know, I kind of knew what he likes. But of course, if you read the script, it's a very precise Bible to how the story has to unfold and how it has to be told visually. It's very precise. Uh, So, you know, although, and he'll be the first one. I mean, I was given the heads up by Stuart Besser, the producer who had actually worked with on several occasions on identity and uh, on Walk the Line. He said, look, you know, uh, Aaron's going to, you know, rely heavily on you for for the visual part and the coverage. and, uh, And, you know, so I met with Aaron. It was rather brief. He goes, thank you so much for doing it. I'm going to rely very heavily on you for this. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know, of course, you go into it and, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he communicates what is important to him in the scene. Like there are specific things uh, mentioned in the scene. That's something he needs to see because it's something that triggered something with the characters and, and, and comes, you know, the writing is very intertwined and interconnected and, and non-linear and, you know, so the very important visual cues that, uh, you know, have a, a significant function in, in the story and in the, you know, so those have to be hit. Other than that, you know, he he doesn't really go, you know, I really want close-ups here and two-shot this and that. I mean, he kind of wants to see the person who's speaking. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and besides that, he really, you know, doesn't, come forward with, you know, I really want to get reaction charts. I think we got to get there. So that was very much left up to me. So we, you know, typically bring, and, you know, we have a big ensemble cast. We got, you know, the seven, the six Chicago seven, we got the the jury, we got the judge, we got the, you know, DA office. So, um, you know, there's a lot of coverage. We got audience reactions. We got Black Panthers in the audience. We got hippies in the audience. And of course, this is just in the courtroom. So it's like a big play. About sixty percent of the movie takes place in this courtroom. So you yeah. know, it's a it's a challenge uh, to shoot. Uh, some scenes are th- two lines. Some scenes are sixteen pages. Uh, I assign different looks to each scene. I couldn't really shoot them chronologically. I had to block shoot out scenes because uh, you know we're also dealing with a, a you know lower, relatively lower budget film, only thirty five days. Only twelve days in this courtroom. Wow! You know, with a lot of page count and a lot of extras that were not always available. So I had to shoot up, you know, multiple scenes when I had audience in a certain direction, and then turn around and shoot multiple different scenes with different looks. You know, because I, I, I sometimes I assigned an overcast, wintry, moody day. Sometimes I decided, you know, it's more appropriate. For this to be warmer, have a higher contrast, have direct sun kissing the performers. And, and, and so, you know, so I had to be able to switch over. I mean, to get technical for a moment, I had to be able to switch over my lighting scenario in this uh, courtroom within, you know, a very short period of time sometime. So we bring in the actors. Of course, the blocking in the, in the courtroom is pretty much set because you have... Um, you know, the defendants are basically in their seats, in the same seats, every, uh, the judge, obviously, and, uh, you know, and then one person takes a witness stand and, you know, counselor or, you know, the defense attorney. or the There's not a lot of movement. Takes the floor, um, you know, so, but, uh, um, you know, it was basically me bringing in the script supervisor, like Aaron, you know, we'd come in, we'd read the scene, 
with our actors. And they're all, you know, you have, you have a very diverse group of actors. You got Sasha Baron Cohen, who's also director, producer, writer. You know, you got Mark Rylance is a theater director and, and uh, also, of course, a very trained, you know, a British actor. Same with Eddie Redmayne, you know. Then uh, you got Jeremy Strong, who's more a method actor. And, you know, so, you know, you have a very diverse group and, and diverse uh, methods of uh, approach to, you know, how do they act to camera? How do they want, you know, multiple takes? Some want, you know, more takes. Some want to try different things. Aaron doesn't like to try different things. Aaron wrote, wrote a script that he's very much wants specifically interpreted it the way it's conceived because, of course, he thought about it a long time. This script was written, you know, over 10 years ago, actually, for Steven Spielberg to direct. Oh, wow. Um, and Steven is the executive producer and also came to the set and, you know, so, and then this is something that came back to Aaron. He asked Stephen after many years if he could, uh, you know, and it's amazing actually how timely this material is. And, oh, yeah. you know, considering that it was going to be done a long time ago and it's, you know, and it's sadly in a way it's, it became very relevant, you know, especially this year with the Me Too movement, the riots. Um, uh, so, but, but basically, so we'd block it, and, which was just more or less reading the, the, the pages and then, um, you know, then I, I would dictate all the coverage, you know, to to Sean, the script supervisor. I would say, okay, so we're going to start this direction and group it. And, do two, do, you know, I did manage to get three cameras for the courtroom. So I had, you know, two LFs um, and a Morphix expanded, you know, which I like. It's an approach that, you know, really, you know, perfected with Mangled. I mean, I, I should say that's how we like to shoot close-ups on a wider lens, you know, that gives you this, especially on a large format, still a beautiful fall off in the anamorphic characteristics, but it, it enables you to maintain this wider field of view, you know, because I really didn't want just talking heads. I always wanted to maintain some connectivity between the characters. You know, there's all these reactions, of course, when one is on the stand. So I always try to set up shots that you know, keeps the group functioning as a group and there and, and, and be able to see the dynamics within the defendants because, you know, they're not always on the same page. And a lot of the most interesting stuff that's happening dramatically and also in the writing, but, you know, visually I had to find a way to cover that quickly was, you know, how they also interact and how the, you know, the, the, you know, they're from different groups, so they have different approaches to how they're handling the pressure of a trial. Um, so, you know, it was very important to me to to shoot it. In a way, I did Ford versus Ferrari, which is also about a group of people working on a common goal. In a way, it's, I mean, of course, it's a race car movie and there's great action scenes intercut, but we have a lot of dramatic scenes where, you know, this group of mechanics and Christian Bale and Matt Damon, you know, Shelby and and uh, everyone they're working on trying to it's a similar group dynamics yeah. in here uh again also intercut our action is going to the riot and intercutting this more classically stagnant composed courtroom with a very high energy handheld documentary style uh approach that we used in the park during the riots which was amazing because we were uh, able to actually shoot at the actual location in Grand Park in Chicago with the with the Hilton right there on Michigan Avenue and you know wow. a lot of the landmarks and the architecture actually 
you know, still historically correct. I mean, we, I think we had very little uh, VFX fixing of painting out something. I mean, it helped having all the tear gas and, but again, I you know, not a lot of extras at the actual rides. There were like 10,000 people in the park. We had maybe at, on our best day, like 200. Wow. So, you know, again, that approach, go with wide lenses, but immerse in the crowd, be handheld. And really, you know, in that case, really let my two two operators handheld. Uh, I said, just go make a documentary about this, you know, like, and then pick up other beats. These are the beats that Aaron needs, like the woman getting pulled down with a flag. But on the way, as you get to that, pick up other things, you know, feel free. Think like Haskell Wexler. Think like medium cool, you know, which we also sprinkled in a footage from the, um, you know, that was actually Haskell had shot yeah. uh, during the actual event. So, you know, that was also very helpful having that as a reference. And the fact that we were exactly in the same location, you know, was also inspiring, but also helpful to really recreate these events. You know, I, I know I'm jumping ahead and answering pretty much every question you were trying to ask me. <laughs> This is like a sampler platter here. So now this is everything that we're going to talk about. But now we can now we can dive in. No, I I, I want to focus on the courtroom scenes um, in Trial of Chicago 7 because you spend a lot of time in this in, in this environment. It spans six months or so, right? Something like six months. So, yeah, the trial have- goes, uh, yeah, I think from September to uh, to February. Yeah. So also, you know, I wanted really to convey passage of time. And that's why I assigned, you know, different looks and moods for each situation. Also, because we're so linear and leaving the courtroom all the time, I think it helps the audience when you come back and it's really like a different mood and and understanding now this is a different court day because not all the court days are labeled. Like day one is labeled, day four is labeled, day 96. And, you know, but but it's, it's, you know, we have many more days that, uh, you know, are not labeled. So, uh, I yeah, really and you don't, and you don't have a lot of like the only way that we know the time has passed and that the, what sort of the environment is outside is through these large, gorgeous windows. And, you know, the interior lighting is stays relatively the same throughout the six months in the courtroom, but the exterior lighting is significantly changing. So can you talk to me about the way that you're lighting through those giant, beautiful windows? Yeah. I mean, you know, this, this is one thing actually that, that came, came still from when Steven Spielberg was prepping this. He said, one of the things he said to Aaron, when he gave him the script and when he, you know, gave him the, 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 the rights to make it, he's make sure you have windows in your courtroom. <laughs> really? So I actually saw, you know, I did research and with Shane Valentino, the, you know, we, we looked at, you know, the original was just like a wood paneled brown box without windows, you know, yeah. and, you know, overhead fluorescent lighting and, 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 you know, which is a another approach, you know, but I mean, I, I knew like Aaron's aesthetics and, you know, I mean, he'd done a few good men and Bob Richardson shot that anyway, you know, it's more sort of a classic, more cinematic. He wasn't that much really stuck on, you know, historical accuracy, you know, in general, um, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a writer of, of cinema and, you know, we're telling this event, but, you know, he also wants, uh, uh, interesting looking movie. So, but anyway, having these windows, of course, help exactly what you said, you know, convey, uh, passage of time and create different moods, which I, I pretty much, you know, I made the spreadsheet and I, I signed just, you know, instinctively, okay, this, uh, you know, seems like, you know, the opening of the trial, 
it's more uplifting and you know there's a lot of hope going into it on the defender you know they're, they're making a statement you know they didn't know it's going to become this absurd you know a farce of a, a trial and judge so you know and then played that a bit uh you know then there's certain witnesses when they feel they're being betrayed or really you know manipulated and and oppressed you know where i said this would be nice more a moodier win winter day rainy when the cops are all these undercover cops that are kind of were setting him up and uh, you know is I, I i you know chose you know the, like i said different moods when michael yeah. can come so you know and then of course for the verdict again i played it a bit more uplifting and you know they come out in their white prison outfits and i have eddie uh, uh eddie redmayne stand and start reading the names of all the fallen and i thought he looks more angelic and heroic you know reading out the names and it's again you know sort of the more triumphant moment uh, for our group so but in order to achieve that and it's not on stage so it's it's actually a, a old um band, uh, a church building uh which you know we we created the courtroom in it was rather large and like you said these big bay windows i mean it was also winter, so I had short days. So I said, you know, the best thing, and Bill O'Leary, the gaffer who has done many movies with Roger Deakins, actually very experienced veteran gaffer and and yeah. and, and, and Tommy, our key grip, um, we, uh, you know, decided just to seal it off, uh, create like a gigantic box, basically a light box out there that uh, gave us the ability, first of all, it controlled, you know, the direct sun, um, the natural, you know, environment that I couldn't control really. Um, uh, and then I had the, I had, you know, uh, sky panels in there. I had M40s, M90s, Air Maxes that I could either bounce. And so the tent was, you know, black on the outside. It was a huge scaffolding rig. Had some depth, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe 12 feet deep. So I could back up my units and I could even bounce them and create like basically a big, gigantic white softbox. Yeah. Uh, in the tent, it came late. Didn't really have it for the first three, four days. <laughs> you didn't have the tent for the first few days? No, no. Eventually I got the backdrop I had picked and requested to go inside the tent. So I could still use a backdrop as a bounce, but it gave me some definition of some things. In the later scenes of the movie, you feel something out those windows. Unfortunately, the opening day, you know, it hadn't been delivered yet and it was uh, just white, but it's okay. <laughs> That's so funny. So you I, just... know, I know, suddenly, suddenly yeah, I go, oh, now we're seeing something. Okay, you know, it, 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 it's a long story. The, the, the first one that got was wrong and whatever. Um, I love that it just comes down to things not being delivered on time. Like yeah, yeah. You, you think I mean, those problems will be solved when you're dealing with a big budget Hollywood film, but yeah. no, even you guys have to deal with stupid problems like that. Oh, we do all the time. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, sometimes the, the biggest movies are the ones that, uh, yeah, feel like the most low budget. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. Anyway. So you've got a big tent set up that yeah, occasionally so you'll bounce through. Yeah. Or I can turn the lights around and still have, uh, you know, some bounce. I have some ambience, but I can also bring my my harder heads like the M90s and stuff direct and and then I would warm them up and uh you know play play direct sun and get you know like some harder light uh sun patterns uh and then on the interior 
according to what I was doing, you know, when I was playing Overcast Moody outside, I had these all these practical sconces that, you know, I picked with with uh, the art department and set dressing. And, you know, so I had those all on dimmers. I did have a very low overhead softbox with LED panels, um, light tiles uh, that I could dial in, you know, depending on the color that I was playing outside. When if I was playing bluer and wintry, not hard light outside, yeah. I would play the the warm, like the practicals are reading a little more. So I would dial in with a LED light tiles, a softer interior base ambience, and then also, you know, adjust the the intensity of these wall sconces that were all, you know, of course controlled on a board. There was always balancing these things, but like I said, since I had to switch out within one day often create three different looks all this had to be rigged and designed in a way that these you know switchovers could happen very time time effectively and you said you were in there for about 12 days is that what you said and your whole production was like 30 or something right it was yeah it was i think like 35 days and we were nine days in chicago you know basically three days in the park you know, one day on the streets, um, a few interiors in Chicago uh, locations uh, for the hotel interviews. And, and then the other big location was the conspiracy office, which was also in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, which, which is also where the, the courtroom uh, was, which was the, this abandoned church. Yeah. Um, so we were basically on location in Chicago for the riots in the park. And then we were um, you know, let's say for 10 days with the travel. And then we brought, and we started in Chicago because we also, the actual event took place in the summer. We had already run into fall. Mm. The leaves were changing. And luckily in the DI, we were able to bring some green back into them, but we were going to lose the leaves in the park probably within a week. (laughs) Oh, so you were down to the wire. Oh, we were down to the wire. I mean, already the color from the time we we arrived in Chicago and we scouted it to the time we shot it, probably six days later, it had already started turning amber and 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 some trees already were getting bare. And it was like, okay, we got we got to shoot this. And it's, yeah. it's cold, and you know, we have all these hippies in the park in t-shirts, and you know, it's a summer it's a summer setting. Because we needed to intercut it with, uh, you know, we we knew we we're going to use some actual footage, and you know, we tried to match that, of course, uh, in terms of dressing and wardrobes and tear gas and, you know, the Chicago Police Department and all the, you know, their gear, uh, you know. So we we had very good references for that. So we, you know, it's not like we had the freedom just to say, okay, let's just play this in the winter, in a, in a rainy, moody, I mean, would have looked dramatic, uh, but, you know, but again, the tear gas helped a little bit because I did have a lot of overcast days and it really should have been sunny, but, um, you know, because of the excessive use of tear gas, it kind of created this diffused look that, that helped me mask the fact that I didn't really have some. Yes. And I and I want to talk more about the riot scene and protest scenes specifically. But before we get there, I just want to mention our sponsor, MZ. MZ is all about education for creatives. So it's perfect for the Go Creative Show. 
audience. Now, when you go to MZ, you're going to see hundreds and hundreds of hours of courses on there that can all be purchased individually. But when you become an MZ Pro member, when you are a member of that subscription, it's the best experience possible because you get access to everything. I'm talking hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education that covers everything from directing to cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. Find out everything you need to know at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Now, the courses are certainly fantastic there. They're really well-produced, but really what makes MZ shine is that the educators are at the top of their game, working professionals in the industry doing high-level work. I'm talking about educators like Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom, the Ari Academy is on MZ, and uh, Tom Cross, the editor of La La Land and Whiplash, does a whole course on the art and technique of film editing. So we're talking about really high-end educators giving you the information that you absolutely need to know. And it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Oh, and a bonus for our audience, you get 20% off by using coupon code GCS20 at checkout. GCS20 for 20% off of MZ over at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Okay, so let's take a minute and talk about these, the riot scenes and the protest scenes. And I want to begin by just asking you just kind of a, I guess like a a, a, a cinematography morality question, if you will. I mean, you're depicting real events. Is there a responsibility that you feel to make sure that events like this, when you're when you're doing something, you know, you're depicting something that actually happened and something so important, do you feel a different responsibility to get it right than you do with fiction? Well, like I said, you know, Aaron, I mean, look, we're, we're dealing with the dynamics, the script is... You know, you're not creating really a documentary. I mean, you're telling the story of these witnesses and what happens to them as a group emotionally, what is triggering them, what made them tick, what's their fate, uh, who they are, their lives are our heroes. You know, we're not really telling the story of the event. You know, it's, 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 I guess, similar to Saving Private Ryan. You're dealing with Tom Hanks trying to, you know, how is he landing on this beach? What is the story of this small group that is trying to find this uh, this private? Uh, you know, so of course, uh, we, you know, we're, we're concerned with that and uh, the setting we create, uh, in this case, because there is so much existing footage and it's pretty well documented, you know, of course we try to, um, you know, not create something completely that's, uh, you know, not reality-based. I mean, um, yeah. And and again, like I said, because we're on the actual location, I mean, it was quite clear the geography. The cops surrounded the the park. You know, they were lined up on the hill. You know, which we all recreated and staged in a similar way. Now, are we feeling extra pressure to? We got to be exactly accurate. You know, to portray the, the 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 degree of violence this way. I mean, certain things triggered were a reaction to certain things. There are beats in the script that we try to get right, but you know. Uh, for the rest, I mean, we are making a movie and we need to make it work and tell the story of our characters uh, and 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 what what motivated and how did it actually function and why they're being accused of conspiracy and what did they actually do and and that 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 part of the story we are trying to um, tell in a in a strong dramatic way but of course accurately uh, but it's not 
no, I, so to answer your question, no, I mean, you're not, you're not like, you know, feeling a lot of pressure. It's, I mean, there's a, a lot of it is just, you get inspired, just look, when all the extras show up in the riot gear, and we had like, you know, of course, great prop department, wardrobe department. Yeah. I mean, the setting is there. You know, you are inspired by that. You, you, you see them all being led out by the first AD and lined up on the hill. You go, this is working visually, you know, yeah. it's, 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 you're there. You're there. And yeah. the same, you know, like that's why I said the same approach to my operators. It's like, okay, here we are, you know, just imagine you're a, a news cameraman in this in 68. Go go for it, you know. Okay. And and trust me, the energy of all the extras also gets boosted, you know, just by the fact that you're out there and there's real smoke and you know. I mean, sure, the clubs are, you know, the, that they get beaten on are rubber and soft and, uh, you know, the tear gas is, is not, doesn't actually burn your eyes. Yes. Although Jeremy Strong was really pleading with us and, and hoping and, and asking uh, Aaron if we could please use actual tear gas. Really? Yeah. And uh, Aaron goes, no, Jeremy, we can't actually do that. What, was anybody people, else behind him in that cause? Other people... Um, you know, involved in this scene, you know, like all the extras <laughs> that I think would maybe not be so comfortable with that. Um, but he's a, he's a real method guy. I mean, he just wants, you know, it's, it's great. It was great because we had such a diverse group of actors and, and, you know, the energies were high and but again, it's affecting you just like on, on Ford versus Ferrari, how we said, you know, it was so important not to do it on stage and on green screen. I'll like put Christian Bale, put him in one of these biscuits or pod cars and and have him experience the sound the vibration uh the g-forces you know of course christian's a great actor of course can he create the impression that he's driving le mans uh, uh on stage yes but it it adds you know not just for the performer but all the elements that are actually real I think the more you have, you know, the more authenticity you get uh, in every aspect of filmmaking. Uh, yeah. So. So how do you bring the authenticity and the lighting in the in those riot and protest scenes? Because you are outside for much of them. Are you just letting natural light be what it is? I, I have to. I mean, I don't have the tools, the budget, the control. I mean, there are some movies. I mean, you know. I don't know what does Chris Nolan do on Dunkirk on the beach. You know, he also has to get lucky. Some people have, you know, Terrence Malick uh, on on Days of Heaven. I mean, you know, some people can yep. wait. <laughs> some people, <laughs> Revenant, can shoot only, you know, like in certain dusk situations. They also, you know, do the eyes for, you know, lots of hours and. Roto people say, I mean, you know, we, so, you know, every situation. You didn't have that. No, I mean, I had to shoot. I mean, I had the extras only for, you know, the extras had to go through the period wardrobe hair. By the time I got them, you know, I had very limited time and very short windows to get these pretty uh, massive scenes. And, you know, but I, I mean, I come from low budget filmmaking. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of used to, it. you know, we, 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 I mean, I do, even now when I'm doing big movies like after Ford Versailles or before, I mean, I did a, 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 a movie in, in, in Brighton beach in New York. I mean, it was, you know, probably $400,000 budget, you know? So, wow. I mean, and I, I enjoy that and I approach that, you know, I come, 
some still photography. When I started Roger Corman, I didn't really know how to use lights anyway. You know, my influences were Robbie Miller and Paris, Texas and Alice in the Cities and uh, The American Friend, which was all minimal use of practicals. Uh, on day series, it's all about laying out the day and planning the day, looking at the weather, looking at the best sort of weather forecast you can get on your phone and or call the airport or and and make decisions you know you got to make decisions okay we're going to do these wide shots in the morning it's the sun's supposed to be out till about noon then we're getting overcast then maybe we go in the crowd we do the tighter stuff with the tear gas then at the end of the day it's supposed to clear back up 50 50 chance you know you kind of got to roll with the punches but you make a plan you try to execute it, uh, be flexible. Ideally, uh, you have a first AD who can be helpful, and you tell them, this is kind of how I would like to try this. Can we get the extras ready at 2, bring them all back out at 2? Oh, you got to break them, okay, break them then. Make sure they're back out here then. So that means let's move up lunch early, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. This is yeah. all, when you're doing day exteriors like this, uh, it's really not, I mean, can I get, I don't know, condors with two Air Maxes everywhere? And I mean, there's some, you know, I mean, Janusz Kaminski on Call of the Wild, he had some very big units on, yeah. on cranes and created some, you know. Uh, anyway, in, in this case, we did not have that option. And then, you you know, you, you act accordingly and... You do what you do, you know, what you can. I mean, it's, it's yeah. yeah. There are devices, you know, with filters trying to maintain, you know, the same kind of F-stop and the same kind of depth of field from, you know, so even when I have a lot of light, I have D down, so I'm already at a 4 or a 284. So I know as I'm going to be losing the light and pulling all my filtration, I'm still going to be able to finish the scene at a 284 split. Although it's a day exterior, you know, and, and then, you know, you start, you know, you can start of changing your shutter. You can, you know, increase the ASA with a Alexa LF. I feel like I can easily go 1280, you know. So, I mean, you extend, you extend your day and your window as much as possible with, you know, your technical aids. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's all about managing the day, managing the daylight, making plans and, 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 and trying to get support from production to, to make you execute that on Ford versus Ferrari with Adam Somner. I mean, people watch a movie now, they go, how come you shot? Everything looks like it's in this beautiful, you know, in the pits in the mall, like in this beautiful, a beautiful afternoon sun and so consistent. It goes, yeah, because we shot, you know, we always broke, you know, I was told Adam, I need to be here from two to four thirty. In the morning when the sun is behind the set, I have to be shooting these dusk scenes, these morning scenes, you know, so it's all about laying out the schedule and, and hopefully having a production being able to accommodate you. Let's talk about the camera package uh, and the lenses that you used on uh, Trial of Chicago 7. So you had mentioned the Alexa LF. Um, can you talk to us about the lenses you paired with it? Uh, you know, I very much fell in love with that combination on Ford versus Ferrari, which they were prototypes at the time. It was uh, anamorphics, that two-time anamorphics from Panavision, like C-series, T-series. Um, 
that don't cover the sensor. And Dan Sasaki at the time, very shortly before we had to start shooting on Ford versus Ferrari, said, well, you know, I can expand him. I go, okay, can you do it in time? Can you try it? I mean, is it going to work? Like, we didn't really know. And we got these prototypes like a week or not even before we started shooting for adverse Ferrari. And then, you know, they had some issues, vignetting, they were, we made some adjustments during it, but it was very much, you know, cut to a year later. I mean, but I love the look. I love that look. And I thought, you know, again, this is a period movie. Again, I'm dealing with groups of people. So I wanted that widescreen aspect ratio to do like those shots. I love the close-ups on the wider lenses, yeah. 40 millimeter, 50 millimeter anamorphics physically close to the action, physically close to a face, but still feeling the person next to him, the, you know, tying in, you know, the, the surrounding. Uh, so that, that's just a, a, a something I thought would be also very, function very well on this story. Cut to a year later, of course, Panavision, and it's become quite popular now, and they've expanded about 60%. I mean, I can't give you the exact number, but I was told at some point, maybe even more by now, um, expanded, you know, mo- mostly the T series and 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 C series to uh, to to cover the larger format cameras, um, and and so now I had I had a greater I had a greater choice of anamorphics. I did go mostly T's on this because the T's T series Panavision anamorphic to reiterate exactly what I was using. They also have close focus capability. I think two and a half feet, you know, which. I also like to be able to, you know, I mean, when you're doing this kind of stuff, you sometimes get very, I mean, you know, we were hitting people with our cameras and, you know, <laughs> really having to pull map boxes because people would constantly run into our <laughs> operator. You know, you're, you're in the crowd, you know, but it's, it's not, it's not, you know, there's no precise choreography. It's like, okay, let everyone loose. Okay, guys, go and action and go, 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 you know. So what, I mean, what is your strategy with the three camera operators? I mean, what what is your direction to them? Well, the three camera operators I, uh, I had in court and I, I set them up very specifically because I knew, okay, I got to cover these. Depending on what's happening in the scene, I got to connect this group. I got to connect this group. I, gotta, I would do wider and then I would move in and always maintain some connectivity and then you know, run some kind of reaction with the third camera or something, you know, because I also, you know, you can't have the actors just repeat these scenes, you know, over and over and over again. I mean, I like to also, you know, really uh, help the actors not having to, uh, because, you know, it's very wordy at time. And, and it, it just, you know, trust me, I mean, the actors I know, they really don't want to do things to, I mean, I come also from working with Clooney, who really doesn't like to do things more than, once really <laughs> i mean two times you know also when he's directing and acting i mean and with alexander payne you know all these movies we really don't do that many takes you know we have great actors and and we kind of let him go you know paul Giamatti and, and sideways and you know this is all or ides of march i mean there's a lot of just philip seymour hoffman and stuff you know they just bring it and you you want to be there you got to be ready for it and you don't want to okay, we got to do this for camera. We got to get this set up now. You know, it's like you try to really accommodate uh, shooting efficiently. So, but in, in the riots, I had two cameras. I mean, I couldn't afford three cameras for everything, but 
my approach was literally, uh, okay, this is the beat that we're capturing, that we need to capture for the script and for Aaron. And this is all the stuff I'd like to get in addition, like extra. So try and get, when you go, so Aaron is like, when are we going to shoot the woman getting pulled down with the flag? I'm like, we'll get, we'll get that. Don't, don't worry, we'll get that. <laughs> but let me start them over here. It's like, when are the cameras back there? Aren't we get? I'm like, we will. We'll you have a plan. You have you know, a plan. And then I go back up, back up, back up, you know, okay. Like send like the people and then go, you know, and then, and then, you know, I had great, you know, Michael Fuchs and Alan, um, uh, I had uh, great operators, you know, uh, uh, they were encouraged, you know, to yeah. uh, think on their feet and, and, and go for stuff, you know, it's like, you can't really micromanage that, can't really design these things, you can't really storyboard them. I mean, you know, you, you gotta know, okay, you know, you gotta know in every scene, this is the essence, this is the purpose of the scene, this is what, why this scene exists, and, and, you know, Beyond that, beyond capturing that, there's you know a hundred different ways you can capture each scene. So beyond that is really a choice that you make as a filmmaker. Uh, and Aaron was very much open to you know he he was always do we really need that? I don't really want to see them. I'm like, it's gonna be good to have you know especially <laughs> in the courtroom. He's like, we got that right. Like let's say we taught we shot Sasha Baron Cohen in the in the witness stand. You know we got that. Three cameras, three angles, one over him to the jury and the judge. And I go, he goes, we're good, right? We're done. It's like, really should. I mean, we need the, you know, we need the other reactions of the, you know, uh, defendants. We definitely should get some crowd reactions because what he says is, you know, and he, 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 is he not, is he just not like a big coverage guy or what? I think he's, well, you know, I think he, in his head, you know, of course, writing it, in his head, he sees what's important to him, but in his head, he's not seeing everything that we can offer. Sure. Uh, and, you know, and I had a conversation, sorry, I'll stay in frame. I had a conversation with the editor, you know, before, who had also done Molly's Game. And, you know, Molly's Game being his first film, I mean, he had definitely learned, and I think he's, you know, he's going to you know, be, he's doing a new movie now. Um, unfortunately, I can't do it with him, but being the Ricardos about Lucy Ball. Oh, no way. And being, uh, and it's all shot down here, down the street, that it would have been nice. Down uh, here where? Where are you? At Warner, Warner Brothers. I'm in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, I okay. see Universal from my house. Um, nice. But, uh, yeah, it would have been nice. But, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, it's all on stage. And uh, um, and Jeff Cronenworth is actually shooting it, I believe. Ah, yeah, um, Jeff's been on the show a couple times. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I, I knew from having talks with the editor about the first movie and also, you know, again, uh, something where, you know, they were fighting for, let's just put it that way, the editor was, very happy I got some extra shots. Yeah, well, it's important. And to... he's doing really well in the awards race, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the editing is, is great, but, you know, he, he's, he literally used probably every setup that I gave him, you know. Is that typical for you? Like, are, are you usually the one advocating for more coverage? 
No, typically, I would. I mean, when I was younger, <laughs> I mean, typically, I would. I would. I'm always happy to see if I can combine some something and and eliminate, you know, a more cutty sequence. Yeah. Like with Alexander, again, we approach it very like with Mangold. We don't really preconceive too much. We do like to see what the actors, how they're bringing it, what the mood is. How is their body language? Like when Bruce Stern is in Nebraska, you know, and he's playing something, I, I go, that doesn't play in a close-up. That needs to play in a wide shot because it's the way he moves, the way he just sat down there, you know. And then Alexander, and we see it, you know. We go, oh, like we have a scene in Nebraska where he's looking for this lost ticket and they're just him and, um, well, no, Will Forte. And they're looking for the ticket and we do it in this wide shot and, you know, that. It just worked out so beautifully. It tells the story so beautiful in the shot where Forte is going this way and Bruce Dern is going this way. And then they go, okay, why don't we call it a night, have a drink? And 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 then they go. And then it's like we had shots planned there. Uh, we go, no, this is beautiful. You know, so often it happens. Like we go, this looks great. Tells the story beautiful. Look what happened. He just turned. He didn't have, a, you know, created a close-up for himself, gave us this look, don't need to come around for a close-up. You know, um, of course, other times we go, this plays in one of these two shots, and we see something, I go, I mean, I'll suggest, oh, that was nice what happened back there. Let's get a cutaway of June Squid back there, like, looking yeah. out the window. I mean, you want to be you know, open-minded and take advantage of these things. I mean, the, 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 when you give actors a certain amount of freedom, which we always try to do and not restrict them uh, to technically, you know, hit this mark, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, George Clooney is very good. Technically, he's like always looking at you. How can I help? Should I be shorter? Should I walk like this? You know, <laughs> I can bend my knees. I'm like, no, no, you know. Um, I mean, but it's, it's, it's you know, you, they, they've, you tell them like do your thing, and then it's up to us to find and discover that, and it's our my responsibility as a cameraman to to be at the right place at the right time with the camera. You know, I mean that's really, and it's not something you can sit four months prior to shooting um, at your desk and figure this out. I mean, yeah. you can figure out certain things. I mean, of course, on Indiana Jones, I mean, there's as you can imagine, pretty complex action sequences that. Yeah, Nobody, you got to plan those. You can't wing those. And yeah. someone's got a budget and somebody's got to build the set. Somebody's got to, you know, get this stuff for it and the props. So, of course, I'm not saying you can win every scene. But when you do a scene like Nebraska, when you do these right scenes, okay, give me the people in the right outfit. And then we can definitely, uh, you know, have some, have some creative freedom. Uh, but, yeah, so like I said, with the editor, you know, he was – very happy. And I said, don't worry, I'll get you this. And I'm very well trained, really, from Mangold, who's a classic. We're kind of like classic Hollywood filmmakers. I mean, we do cover well. Mangold covers well. Um, I mean, I directed a movie early on in my life. I was 29 years old. Wally Pfister shot it, actually. Um, wow. uh, this is before he did Memento. And... Um, uh, you know, I was very ambitious in trying everything in wonders. Oh, wow. But there I am, you know, in like the editing room. And if you don't have great performances, <laughs> and, 
great writing. That's risky. It's tough. You know, you got seven pages of people walking and sitting and talking and the blocking and the way Woody Allen does it. I mean, I like that kind of cinema. But, you know, you in order to do that, you got to have a very good writing and very good actors. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. Well, I mean, I think you've got, I mean, the film definitely seems like you have a ton of coverage in Chicago 7. I mean, oh, you, yeah, yeah. it sounds like you probably used everything, but it oh, sounds yeah, like yeah. you've got great I mean, coverage. I, I, I mean, wanted to ask you, too, because, like, when you're shooting something like the riot scenes, you got a million extras everywhere, and you are kind of just winging it, shooting it like a documentary. You must run into a lot of uh, extras that are really doing everything they can to get your attention. <laughs> yeah, we have that, and then, yes. and then you know, sometimes we'll catch them, and we go, "That one, get out of there!" <laughs> really? This Were you guy, put- he's, he's hamming it up again. He's been doing it every take, like. You know, you get people, and, you know, of course, you get people overacting and stuff. And then that's how I would do it. If I was an extra, I would be so aggressively trying to get attention that well, I would just repel the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, luckily, our actors were also very good at that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, no, no, you got to watch out. It's very tricky when you do these crowd scenes. I mean, uh, where, where, the, where does uh, Alexander Mangold always calls him the. the, the yeah, anyway, I, he has a term for those. Oh, there's another. Oh, God. You know, we, he, Alexander is more polite and subtle. He's, he calls the first lady over. He goes. <laughs> <laughs> as nice as you can. Back there, the red sweater got to go. Oh, my God. Well, in our last couple of minutes, I wanted to ask you one more question about your kind of philosophy with camera movement. I had read in an article that you're not really a fan of unmotivated camera movement. You're pretty specific about using it when absolutely necessary. Talk to me about that. I mean, it's just sometimes I watch movies and I'm in a scene and then suddenly the camera starts rotating or drifting in and it, I become conscious of it and uh, it distracts me. Mm. I mean, it can be a nice move and the composition is maintained, but I'm like, why are they moving? Like, why is this moving right now? Mm. And then... I like movement. I mean, uh, I use a lot of Steadicam. I'm always on a slider. I'm always on track. But I, 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 it's got to even be motivated by a dramatic beat. Like I love little push-ins, but at the right speed, at the right moment, and where you don't really notice it, or an actor is moving a certain way, and I'll move or counter to meet him, or you know, I like. I just like not to really. I mean, now there are you know, exceptions where you want to make a statement with a camera move. Yeah. You know, Scorsese does it all the time. Uh, Spike Lee does it all the time. You do, you do some pretty expressionistic camera movements. But in general, I mean, you know, like, look, like Nebraska feels like a very static show. It's probably has a lot of movement. Mm. I mean, there's, you know, the subtle, you know, pieces of track, dance floor, sliders, um, but, you know, they're subtle and, and often, you know, as I go down to something and come back up, I will have moved and I find myself in a different position or I'll create an over two shot uh, that was, you know, just a single before and you won't really notice that happen. You know, that in combination with how you move the actors. So that's always something we're looking for. Jim is mangled, is very good with that as well. Um uh, again, you know, I don't like shooting wide and tights at the same time. 
Like, I feel like if we go close, um, how do you mean? I want to be physically close and stay on the, on the same lens. Uh, Uh, you know, so we, we don't really run, you know, like a wide shot and then, okay, let's also, you know, directors ask me that. I mean, Aaron, my, my Aaron likes long lens. I go, you know, he didn't even probably realize like we didn't really shoot long lenses because I still get with this anamorphic expander, I still get these strong close-ups. but you know, but sometimes I'm sure he asked me, can't we get this? I'm like, no, let's get these two wider shots and then let's get, physically move in and get the two closer shots. I mean, which is something that we do with Mangold all the time because yeah. I, I feel like it's just a different emotional message and a different connection to the performance and the audience will feel it. You know, this is not just, oh, you're throwing a hundred and and while we're at it, grab this close-up. You know, well, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like one, the longer lens makes you feel like you're watching a person. Yeah. The wider lens makes you f- feel like you're with a person. And I think and that's a really always, we're always trying to be with a person, you know. Yeah. The races were not covered like that. The, this action is not covered like that. I want to feel like yeah, I'm part of, you know, I'm sitting on that defendant's bench and I'm I'm sitting in the witness stand and when I look over to the judge, he's like right there, you know, and I don't want to play it from the audience perspective and, you know, across the floor and, you know, I'm not interested in that. I, I do, you know, but again, I mean, again, like every story requires a different, you know, it's just, um, I mean, these two stories, again, I'm comparing Ford versus Ferrari to, to Chicago seven, which is completely different films, but sure. again, it's about characters. It's about, you know, uh, emotional connectivity, uh, working together as a team, um, you know, so it has similar themes. So that, therefore, I felt like the lensing is is, is kind of similar. You know, um, now you seem like a guy that really appreciates kind of practical sets, practical lights, doing things for real in real environments. What are your thoughts on this move towards virtual production? We're exploring it. It has its it has its use uh, for sure, and the technology is advancing fast. I mean, it's still expensive. You need this gigantic, you know, volume stages and, uh, like a Mandalorian and, uh, you know, um, it still requires a lot of work. It's not like you can just photograph those, uh, and have them as is, um, you know, yeah. a lot, a lot of VFX and post work that goes into it, but it's great for interactive light. It's great when you have surfaces with reflection, let's say like a cockpit and, you know, you're flying through clouds or, I mean, there's really great use for it. Uh, makes a lot of sense on the Star Wars stuff, on the deserts, you know. But again, you know, uh, you're doing something in a tight situation in an urban environment with a lot of extras, cutting a lot of corners, buildings. You know, it's it's not always it doesn't it's not always useful, and uh, it's almost better still to do it even on green screen. Of course, I always will take a practical location, even when we build sets that are you know, let's say a small apartment building, uh, a small apartment, and I have a stage and I can do whatever I want, like pull the ceilings, pull walls. I like having the restrictions of uh, treating it like a location, like I am in a small (coughs) Paris apartment, you know, with, you know, tight doorways and 
you know, if I can't get my dolly through, I don't want the production designer to make it wide enough so I can get my peewee through it, you know, and not necessarily. I mean, I, I like dealing with the limitations and restrictions that I would have on location. And I feel like it feels more real that way. It makes the, the, the backdrops, the, what's outside the windows feel more real. I blow them out, although I could perfectly expose them. I'm trying to think what would be the difficulties if I was on location on the 10th floor, how could I control what I'm seeing outside? And I approach that and give myself the same kind of uh, challenges and restrictions on, on stage because, you know, that's for me the most important is that, you know, it feels real. What do you think the next big advancement in filmmaking is going to be? I mean, the definitely this, uh, this whole LED uh, lighting, the big LED wall, uh, yeah, interactive light feeding in footage, uh, getting all the correct interaction, um, being able to photograph these screens. Um, you know, the cameras are going to get smaller, faster. Um, I personally don't really want anything sharper. I'm already. That's why there's such a popularity movement towards older glass less aggressively sharp glass. I mean, I like, you know, it's funny, the manufacturers, the sensors, they're all getting bigger, better, sharper, and then all the DPs are <laughs> counteracting it. Of course, you know, some people like Unrevenant, I mean, he shoots master primes, you know, there's different schools, like you can shoot it the highest quality possible. You can always treat it, degrade it, but not everyone has all that time in the DI or in post. Um, some people like to capture, you know, the, the flares and the softness and the vignettes, uh, mechanically on camera, optically, mm-hmm. uh, of course, then you're kind of tied into them. I like that. I mean, I like dealing with, you know, my, my, my photographic limitations that actually exist. Uh, of course I can add any kind of flare I want later. Yeah. Well, how are you softening your images? Are you adding filtration? Are well, you putting haze really. in the room? I, I, I like to find glass that I feel is is has the right amount of sharpness, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the the right amount of fall off in the edges, the right amount of distortion. I do like vignette. Like I don't like when it's just perfectly evenly exposed from corner to corner. So I actually always apply a vignette in the DI. Um, it's something I even do, you know, when I'm working on my Instagram photo, (laughs) it's just something I like, (laughs) you know, oh, vignette. Okay. Let me put a vignette on it. Um, who doesn't like a nice vignette? Exactly. And I do like the center to be soft. I do like the eyes to be, uh, I'm not soft, sharp. I do want eyes to be sharp. Uh, you know, there's some things I don't want to be, have soft. Uh, There's certain things I want soft. There's certain things I want dark. (laughs) <laughs> There's certain things I don't want dark. So, you know, so you find your combination of lenses and, uh, uh, you know, and then, you know, I add, I mean, I like film. I'd be shooting film. You know, I add grain, I think, with Skip Kimball and my color is like a monuments man. We shot half film, half digital. I felt like we really matched that uh, very well. And I mean, anyway, we're dealing with digital projection. If we even ever go back to that, we're dealing now with you know, very good televisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, myself included, I bought, you know, three OLED 
monitors this year, you know, been watching a lot of Netflix, which typically I haven't, you know, of course, Trial of Chicago 7 was shot for the theatrical and big screen. And I mean, I'm glad Netflix picked it up. And I think, you know, it got to a lot of people at the right time when it oh, was absolutely. to be shown and seen by a lot of people, uh, which we wouldn't have had that opportunity if it was uh, a smaller theatrical release. So I'm not complaining, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see how people, you know, just all everyone's has upgraded their home viewing systems. Um, the TVs, I mean, you know, 4K OLEDs look pretty good, you know, and um, sound systems. So, you know, it's going to be interesting what movies, of course, Speaking of my next project, I mean, that movie is not shot to be streamed somewhere, you know. Yeah, you definitely don't want to watch Indiana Jones on a phone. You you want to see that on the big screen. So hopefully and, uh, we will be back. Yeah. I mean, that and, and, and all these other, those sort of type of movies that are being held, you know, like Bond and like Dune. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that we'll all be able to get back in the theaters and experience that, uh, you know, also just the group psychology of watching a movie like that. I mean, I remember I was talking about how I saw aliens in Westwood with price 800 people in the theater and the mass hysteria. You know, you just don't get that at home. Yeah. You know, I I agree with you. The cinematic experience. I mean, that's what, you know, it's not for every movie. I mean, you can watch a John Cassavetes movie at home, you know, and it would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, you know, we certainly will be back at some point, obviously. I mean, it's not going to be like this forever, but I think that there's going to be a large majority of people that just want to see things at home. And, we, you know, as filmmakers, you guys just need to always be considering the fact that first time anybody sees this could very well be on an iPad or a TV or on a phone. It just kind of is the way that it is moving forward. Yeah, well... I'm more optimistic. I think it'll be more like the Roaring Twenties after Prohibition. I hope so. I hope I mean, so. I, I'm already feeling that, you know, as in LA now, as the numbers have dropped. Yeah. I, mean, I was driving down Sunset Strip the other day. I mean, it seems like people are, you know, just starving to get out of their bubbles. And, um, and you uh, know, I hope it'll have a similar effect to when we return to being able to go to movie theaters and theaters and concerts and, and sporting events, you know, I'm dying to go to the Laker game. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I hope that's going to, uh, you know, we'll all get back to some kind of normality and uh, with the vaccines hopefully being in effect, you know, by the summer. So, Absolutely. Well, the film is called Trial of Chicago 7 and it is on Netflix right now. So you guys should check it out. It's getting a lot of buzz and for good reason. Great directing, great acting, and of course, amazing cinematography. So thank you so much. Faden Papa Michael for coming back on the show and promise us now that you'll come back for Indiana Jones. All right, Ben, I promise. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm still around by then. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I want to thank Faden Papa Michael for coming back on the Go Creative Show to talk to all of you and me about his work on The Trial of Chicago 7. Great film, and it's right there on Netflix, so check it out for yourself. I also want you to check out the websites for our fantastic producer, Connor Crosby. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And of course, Dave Siegel, who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good, and he can do the same for your projects. Find him at siegelsound.com. Of course, follow all things Go Creative Show 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where we put exclusive YouTube content. And of course, check out gocreativeshow.com to get links to all of those and for links to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Now, if you're interested in what I'm doing as a director out there uh, with my company, BC Media Productions, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Consoli. I post a lot of behind the scenes, especially the creation of this studio here, which is brand new, and I hope you guys like it. Now, you'll see all these empty shelves here. I plan on filling this with stuff. I don't know what it is yet, but I'll be filling it with something. So if you have any ideas or if you have something you want me to put back there, please reach out to us on social media. And of course, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And we'll see you next week on another episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Filmmakers.